Welcome, investigator. Evil is on the rise. Crime is escalating. Our mission is to eliminate the crime by exposing evil, examine why it manifests, and highlight the brave souls that confront it every day. Join us as we work together to bring justice to every victim. Welcome to All Things Crime. Here's your host, Jared Bradley. Well, hey, let's um, let's get back to you a little bit. So, what was uh, what was your the time that you spent with the city of Los Angeles as a ethics guy? What describe that a little bit? Yeah, so you know, LA had a, a reputation for having some corruption problems in the eighties and and nineties, and uh, the city created two separate commissions. They created a police commission oversee LAPD. This is after Rodney King and Rampart and some of that. And they created an ethics commission, which is to oversee all the elected officials in the city of LA and the high level employees. So, you know, I was brought in to run the enforcement division. So I, I was the, the head prosecutor. So, you know, I would oversee the election, oversee Rule versus Garcetti and deal with any ethical issues. So government ethics laws, campaign finance, election. I was basically the watchdog the city of LA. And I took the position because it was a prosecution type position, but it was also quasi-political and it was really a stepping stone to be a judge. And that was the plan. So, you know, I was doing narcotics and, you know, my daughter was born in San Diego. My wife said, ah, you know, we're doing narcotics, we're doing cartel prosecutions. Probably not the safest job when you just had a kid. At the time, there was like a million dollar bounty on AUSAs and DEA agents, kind of like during some of the heyday of the cartel violence. So, you know, I kind of took a step back, came back to LA where my wife's family's from. My son was born back to back a little over a year apart, started doing public corruption and was being vetted for the bench by the California governor at the time. And that's when, you know, we looked at our finances and realized we're spending more on childcare than uh, we were making. And we had to uh, sort of make a decision. But I love the job, a uh, fun job, because you were really sort of digging into some of the underbelly of, of politics. And I mean, what we're seeing at a pretty high level now with the federal government and, and all the allegations of corruption on both sides. But even at the local level, a city like LA, it was pretty bad. And recently, you know, since I left, you've had three council members that have been under indictment in the city of LA, prosecuted by the feds, doing federal prison time. So pretty, pretty fun job. And also you're dealing with the, the dirtiness of, of politics, unfortunately. I don't think a lot of people understand how big of a budget a city like Los Angeles has. I mean, it's you're talking billions and billions of dollars. And I'll, I'll give you a little example of some of the things that I've experienced. We um, we were doing some business with South Africa and we, we actually had a, a big contract all lined up. And my distributor over there calls me up and he says, hey, I got some bad news, man. He said, everybody from the head of the South Africa police services and about three levels down have all been fired. Most of them are in jail because of just the corruption. And, you know, you, you get a lot of these people that they work their way up from, you know, various jobs, but a lot of them come from poor communities. And all of a sudden they're in charge of some multi-million dollar budget and different vendors will come in. And this is exactly what happened with South Africa. I mean, some of those guys literally grew up in little concrete brick homes with dirt floors. And then the apartheid happened. And so all of a sudden they're in charge of millions and millions of dollars. And some vendor comes in and says, hey, give me the business and we'll give you this. And it's, you know, it's your typical 
corruption case. And next thing you know, they're, they're getting slipped, you know, envelopes of money and under the table. And, but that money has to get tracked somewhere. You can't just all of a sudden show up with a Mercedes Benz and somebody goes, Oh, wow, you're doing that on a government salary. And you know, it's, it's hard. I, it's easy to understand actually, but at the same time you expect that, you know, your government officials to not have that corruption, but it's so widespread. You know, it is. And, you know, we talked about drugs, right? And, you know, someone has an opportunity to make five or 10 times as much money, you know, by participating in the drug trade. You know, we see it a lot in college sports, for instance, right? You got kids out of school, they're making millions of dollars for their universities and just the economics makes sense to pay them. It's not right. Now, obviously, some of that's changed with the NIL and recently, but then you're looking at government officials, right? They're responsible for, you know, multi-billion dollar budgets and they're giving out contracts, right? Sometimes they do these no-bid contracts or, you know, again, not saying it's right, but you kind of look at the economics and there's a reason why people try to bribe them and they accept bribes because the deals are worth that much. Or in a city like LA, where the entitlements and permits and real estate are so valuable, right? You know, you get approval to build a big development. That's worth a lot of money as a real estate developer. That's why you just see so much of this corruption on the real estate side because people are trying to get permits, people are trying to get things expedited to move things along to increase the world. Again, not an excuse at all. It's a crime. It should be prosecuted. But I mean, that's why you see so much on it when you have this really sort of disparity in economics and all these different situations ends up being a big problem. Yeah. I don't know if you're a fan of that. I think it's on Netflix, the Lincoln Lawyer series. I Um, watched it. Yes, it's very good. It's it's very well made. I've actually done some commentary on it. It's interesting because you could tell that they have really good legal analysts and writers in the show because they're really kind of getting into the substance of some of the California criminal law. Um, So I I think it's a very well-made show uh, on Netflix. I like. Yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that. That two seasons, I think, but especially that second season, you know, they're talking about all that real estate and, you know, the, the battle between, you know, the, the restaurant owner and, and the big, big developer and kind of the, that whole thing. It was pretty interesting. So a little plug there for Lincoln Lawyer and Netflix. But yeah, definitely check it out. It's good, folks. That yeah. Well, as, as, a, as a former military guy, I, I can definitely tell the shows that have really good military advisors and the ones that don't. And, you know, you can just look at uniforms and go, oh, man, whoever their, their advisor is, is just just dropping the ball there. So, well, you know, you have oh, one, one of the things I wanted to ask you. So have you ever heard of the CSI effect? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I do live trial commentary. OK, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the few former prosecutors that doesn't do defense work. So, you know, networks will bring me in where they're covering live trials as their play by play guy. So okay. I'll I'll do it most days, you know. They'll run the trial. The witnesses are taking the stand. So jury selection to opening statements. So, yeah, I mean, I know it very well. Jurors expect to see that forensic evidence. So if you don't have, you know, the forensic expert or the pathologist or, you know, I mean, they expect to see that. So kind of no body cases or cases without ballistics experts or the jurors are kind of sitting there, you know, scratching their heads. I mean, they expect to see that type of evidence and CSI, I think, is a big reason for that. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. But the uh, the particular way that it's been described to me by uh, a lot of CSIs and detectives in, in today's, you know, especially the the courts is the the show CSI when it came about, it kind of it kind of warped 
a lot of the people in a community where they, they'll look at certain cases and they'll be like, hey, why isn't this thing solved yet? You know, this this trial's been going or this this uh, investigation's been going for years. Why why does it take so long? And so they, they have to re-educate the jury on really what it actually takes to solve a crime and including the investigation and, and developing all of the evidence so that not only are they actually showing that the the suspect is guilty, but also that it, it's rock solid. It's not, you know, there's no real cases. And the CSI effect, I think, is kind of the, you know, cases can't be solved in 43 minutes, like what they show on TV. So is there something similar to that on the, yeah, on the lawyer it, side? It is. So, you know, when I was a prosecutor, I would tell folks, it's not what I know, it's what I can prove, right? I want to bring a case. I want it to be bulletproof. I want it to be ironclad. I want to get 12 out of 12 beyond a reasonable doubt. And I want them to del- deliberate for an hour or two. And when you come with that overwhelming evidence, one, you make sure that you're not ever prosecuting an innocent person. That's your nightmare if you're a DA or US attorney, right? But, you know, more than that, you present that overwhelming evidence of guilt. And guess what you get? You get a pretty quick guilty plea. You save a lot of time and you put someone away. You can kind of move on to the next case. So, you know, on one hand, I get it. People expect crimes to be solved right away. But also, you know, we talked about Rex Hurlman, right? Here's someone with seven burner phones, right? You talk about Brian Koberger, right? People are a lot more sophisticated now, you know? They're not taking their cell phone to the scene of the murder, right? He reportedly left it someplace else or turned it off or put it in airplane mode. So, you know, on one hand, law enforcement has these advances in technology, but, you know, a lot of folks now are careful what they search up on their phone because they know that internet search history is there forever, who they call or who they text. So, you know, as law enforcement kind of gets the advantage, you know, I, I like to bring up OJ, right? You know, the OJ jurors, they didn't believe in DNA evidence, but now no one disputes it. So folks are a lot more careful. Someone like Ryan Koberger reportedly wore gloves everywhere he went, you know, even though it's one of the most gruesome crime scenes in recent memory, four people stabbed in a home where you expect to be DNA everywhere. There's only a single source of DNA at that scene. And there's a lot of other folks' DNA. So, mm-hmm. you know, people are becoming a lot more sophisticated, even on the criminal side, which makes it not necessarily as easy to gather evidence as folks would think. Oh, yeah. Well, I've I've known of cases where a serial rapist was wearing multiple layers of clothing and gloves and everything else, you know, to to try to, you know, not leave his DNA. But eventually, you know, especially I, I'm I'm more on the DNA side, obviously. And when you're sloughing off 400,000 cells a day, eventually we're going to catch you. So that's that's the good news. But and frankly, I, I can't imagine anything you know, committing any crime in multiple layers of clothing and a mask and two layers of gloves and all that, you know, trying to rumble around is going to be actually any fun anyway. So yeah, but, but just, we're, see, we're seeing a lot more. I mean, if you're just bringing up another case, multiple layers of clothing. I mean, Alex Bardock, right? Huge case, you know, convicted of killing his wife and kid there in South Carolina. One of the things that the defense argued is, look, there's no blood splatter, right? You kill someone close range with a shotgun, with a rifle. Why is there no blood splatter on the clothes? So again, like you said, changes of clothing and those types of things are what we're seeing now from some of these folks. Yeah. Yeah. The criminals are getting smarter, but you know, that's, that's why uh, we're constantly developing technology to uh, counterbalance that. So, so here's another question for you as, as an attorney, 
Uh, it just seems to me like there are so many plea deals. What? Why? Why is that? And how has that come come to be over the years? It just seems that there, there's there's cases that you you wonder why people aren't being arrested and actually prosecuted, and then you learn they get a plea deal. And it, it's so explain that process. Yeah. So you know, I, I can tell you, I, I, I'm a fan of more prosecutions. Uh, I'm a former prosecutor. You know, so. You're not talking to a criminal defense lawyer. I think the people that commit crimes should be prosecuted and they should be prosecuted aggressively. You know, when it comes to plea deals, a lot of it is frankly an issue of resources. Judges, they don't have time or the resources to try every case. Same thing with prosecutors. Sometimes they have dozens, maybe more than a hundred cases that they have to deal with. And if you can't move your files, then you're going to get bogged down and things are going to pile up and, you know, you're, you're going to be stuck in a situation where you're not getting the convictions that you need. The system isn't set up for every case to go to trial. Even on the civil side, when I'm representing victims, I can tell you that even on the civil side, 98% of cases, they settle. Trials are expensive and they take time. They take money. You know, jurors don't want to be there. Most of them, most people don't get that, you know, summons for jury duty and, and, and they jump out of their seat and they, they want to do it. So I mean, obviously I would like to do it. I'm sure you'd like to do it because of, of your background, but for most folks don't. So you know, that being said, I think sometimes, you know, some deals are given that that should, shouldn't be given. I don't like to give significant discounts, especially look, if someone's going to step up to the plate and accept responsibility and present some sort of mitigation package and try to get their life back on track, that's one thing. But, you know, if they're going to deny responsibility, lie about it, perjure themselves, lie to the jury, try to mislead the judge, you know, for that, I'm like, everyone has a constitutional right to a jury trial. I mean, I accept that, but I don't think that person should be getting any type of deal. The other big reason deals are given is, frankly, you need to cooperate, right? So if I'm prosecuting the head of the cartel, that guy is going to go nowhere near the drugs, right? He's going to pick up the phone and he's going to call his lieutenant and the product's going to move. So I got to flip people and appeal back those layers of the onion till I get to the guy that's the target of my investigation. So sometimes the deals are out of necessity because I need cooperation, not necessarily because I'm busy and I can't try all the cases. Thanks for joining us. Your attention today brings us one step closer to exposing and eliminating the evil that brings crime to our communities. Hit subscribe and share this episode. Together, we will bring justice to every victim.